When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, you want more? More. Oh, uh, this good? Oh, wow, that was extreme. Edging with Tucker and Mora. Well, look who it is. Kiefer Sutherland. Hello. How are you all this morning? We're doing well. Good to see you. And you. And you. We're listening to a little Kiefer Sutherland right now, too. There we are. How about this song right here? Walking down Blue Street, I make the right on young. You know what? I was just at Blur and Young. So was I yesterday, yeah. The funny thing about that song is it's a perfect example of kind of how I write. Um, I write about either something that is actually happening in front of me uh, or a very descriptive memory. And I also, when I wrote the first verse of that song, I was standing on the the southeast corner of Bloor and Young waiting for the lights to change. And I was looking around and I realized, oh my God, like everything for better and worse that shaped me as a young person happened on these corners. Mm. And on the northwest corner uh, was the first job I ever had at the Hudson Bay Center in the food court. Okay. Uh, oh my God. What, uh, what was the name of the place? Comachinos. Okay. Uh, in fact, I ended up dating the daughter of the father, Tori Solano. Um, she was my first kind of real kiss at the subway stop on that same corner. North Northeast <laughs> corner was the first place I ever bust with a guitar. And the southwest corner in front of Harvey's at the time, I got my ass kicked for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So, again, for better and worse, all of these things kind of shape who you are. Mm. How old are you when you're busking there? Oh, gosh, I'd have been about 13. That's pretty pretty brazen. I mean, have you always been a performer? Um, No, no. I I, I would have to believe that I was quite awful. because I got moved around quite a lot. Okay. Um, you know, but it, it was learning. And, and, and the funny thing about busking is that, that no one really stays for too long. So really, you only need two or three songs, and you just repeat them over and over oh. and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you start to get better at those three songs, hopefully. Is that the same time that you got your ass kicked? You were busking for uh, No, that was, a, that was about a year later. I think I was trying to buy some pot or something, and, and I wasn't wow. very good at that yet either. And, uh, and someone saw the weakness in me and decided to take my money. Uh, Wait, what exactly is your background with Canada? Obviously, we know you have Canadian parents and uh, there's Mm -hmm. a connection there. And your grandfather had a role to play in bringing health care to our country, national health care. But like in terms of your upbringing, Mm -hmm. is Toronto home? Yes. Yeah. Um, So I was born in London, England. Yeah. Uh, And my mom and dad and me, my twin sister and my older brother of a different father all moved to Los Angeles when I was about three because my dad was working. And my mom and dad split up, and, uh, and me, my mom, and my sister moved here to Toronto in like 1976, 77. Uh, so I was about nine. 
Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, so from grade four on. What neighborhood did you grow up in? East York. Okay. Uh, in Crescent Town, uh, which was kind of an interesting hybrid. It was kind of an, it was an Ontario housing project facility, but it also had people that owned their own property. So it was a, like... Kind of like a co-op almost? Yeah. When we first moved to Canada, we didn't have, you know, my mom didn't have two shillings to kind of rub together. And so everything was kind of, my grandfather had helped out and, and we were kind of trying to put all of that together. Uh, and we ended up there and it was absolutely amazing. Um, made friends really quickly. In fact, uh, Stephen Barker is still one of my best friends. Um, and he, he, he was a guitar up? player who played with me as well on, on that corner. And, and it was it your teenage years all in Toronto? Yeah. Until well, you started as, as, working? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was not a great student. I went to a lot of schools, so I saw a lot of areas of Toronto. Okay. Um, I, I, I think I went to St. Clair. I went to East York. I went to Harbor Collegiate. And I went to Martin Grove. <laughs> It's funny wow. you, you bring all up for, all, these... all for three years. That's a lot of change. I feel like yeah. Keanu Reeves has a similar story of bouncing around a lot of schools when he was in Toronto. Now, would you have crossed paths with him? Like, were you doing any acting? Well, I did, a film, been... I did a film with him, uh, but in the States. So I left when I was quite young. I left when I was uh, almost 16, maybe just turning 16. I left for New York. Okay. Because I had done a film here called The Bay Boy, uh, which was directed by Daniel Petrie. Uh, who did Fort Apache, The Bronx, Raisin in the Sun, just The Dollmaker, some amazing films. Uh, and and that got me, uh, that, that was critically acclaimed in the U.S. and Canada, and so that got me uh, to theater school in New York, and then I started working quite quickly after that. I watched um, a really old movie with you and Keanu last night, um, The Brotherhood. Brotherhood of Justice. Yeah. 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 Is it not insane to you that people can bring up these old films now so easily from like... Insane and sometimes disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my God, people yeah. are still watching um, those movies. Uh, well, it's so funny because I... Great friendships. Billy Zane was in that film, and he and I became really, really good friends. And and uh, and and then he ended up letting me crash at his place for a while. Keanu, uh, we we were friends. Uh, um, he was really the only other hockey player I knew in Los Angeles at the time. Um, and his mother and my mother had worked together in the theater quite a lot. So, which we didn't really know until we started to kind of get to know each other. And, and he's got, he's such a nice guy. First of all, he's one of the nicest people on the planet. And then he has this kind of almost otherly humanly work ethic, right? He's, he's a really dedicated person. Um, and you really see that in films like Speed and the John Wick pictures and, and, and all of that. Um, so it's just, it's it's kind of interesting to see over 40 years kind of how everybody develops and they find their own path and do their own thing. Is there a name that you just love seeing on a call sheet that is like your favorite actor to work with? Is it Keanu? Are there several that you're like, ah, oh, yes? Um, there have been. Um, they're not necessarily people, uh, you know, we don't work with each other over and over and over again. Um, so that doesn't happen very often. Uh, but there are some people every once in a while where they're not a day player. They'll have a number of scenes, for instance, in a show uh, like Designated Survivor or like 24. 
And you just know that the quality of that actor is so good that you don't have to worry about that day, right? You don't have to worry mm -hmm. about whether or not that person is going to understand the material or, or if they're going to enjoy working with you or, or whatever. Uh, and especially with a television show and especially a show like 24 where it was just a revolving door. Yeah, right. Um, Every season would be. It was just so many actors coming through. Yeah. And those actors actually are, you know, they're the ones that actually make or break your show, right? Uh, if, if acting is dancing, uh, I mean, unless you're doing a one-person show and unless you're, you're giving speeches, the rest of it is dancing, uh, very much like playing music. Everybody's got a dance partner. And you're only as good as the kind of weakest dance partner. And so if you're lucky enough, as I have been, to to have been able to work with kind of steadily with really, really great day players, um, you know, uh, arguably without, without question, uh, my success in those television shows is directly related to the quality of those people. And so, yes, to, to the long-winded answer to your question, mm -hmm. there are people that I see names on a call sheet that I, that I get... Uh, very happy about. It, it seems like back in the day, you used to play more like a-hole type characters, mm. you know. Uh, <laughs> totally. Stand by me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what am I thinking Did of? Did that insult you that you were typecast as an <laughs> asshole? No. It's, Lost um, boys, you're a bit of a dick. It's, it's, <laughs> oh my God. I for an men, I for, I for an eye, a few good men. Look, you know, first cut is the deepest, right? So it seems to be the first part that you kind of break out in. Uh, and for me, that was Stand By Me. Uh, it's certainly not a comment on, on my capabilities as an actor. I don't think it's a comment on my personality as a person. Um, it is a real comment, I think, on the lap, lack of imagination of maybe casting directors and a, and a business model sure. uh, mm. in, in the entertainment business, both in Canada and, and the U.S. And often you have to fight to break out of that. Like I can think of Matthew McConaughey who refused these like $20 million paychecks because he was tired of being rom-com guy and he wanted to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And I, luckily he had an agent and a team that supported that because that would make people well, insane. And, and he was also successful enough to, to demand that. Uh, I th when you take a look at a career that I actually have a huge amount of respect for, uh, Bradley Cooper, mm -hmm. uh, to go, the, the variety of films uh, that he's managed to carve out for himself and characters, I think has been extraordinary. Um, you know, it's it's all about other choices too. Uh, there are moments that maybe I would have been better advised not to take a certain film. You know, but by the time I was 20 years old, I had two kids and a mortgage and, and I'd made other choices for my life. And those were really conscious choices, you know, uh, and I would not take them back for a second. And I remember when my, my youngest daughter, who's now well into her 30s, asked, you know, what did I think the perfect career for an actor would be? And I said, well, it's, it's not even the career per se, it's the other life choices. You have no children, you have no pets. You do eight films over the course of your entire lifetime, and that's it. So find another job. Yeah, you know, right. and and that you do it as almost a hobby, uh, and that way you could be that kind of pure, um, and not need the paycheck. Because right. when you need the yeah. paycheck, yeah. then you got to make decisions. And and yeah. and, and and that informed uh, a lot of kind of rationalization and decision-making of mine, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Can I, uh, when you play those roles where you are being like a, a 
you know, a jerk or a mm-hmm. bad guy. Does that um, carry over into real life, especially when you're young and people haven't seen Jack Bauer do his thing and save the world? Like, do people think you are a, that person in a way? <laughs> and- well, I, I think I think I, th- I think if if we've seen anything uh, with social media, is that human beings have a real hard time discerning the difference between truth and 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 kind of subjective reality right uh so i did i did a film called a time to kill where i played the head of the branch of the kkk out of jackson mississippi um i didn't want to do the film but joel schumacher who i'd worked with for a long time really pressured me into doing it and then we we were friends so i ultimately did it and my rationalization was that if you're going to make a film about racism, someone is going to have to take up the responsibility of showing how awful racism really is. So that if there's a 12-year-old impressionable person in the audience, they're going to see this and they're not going to want to be this guy. Mm-hmm. And so that's the responsibility that you take on. Okay, cut to nine months later, the film comes out and I'm playing in a hockey tournament in Arizona and... A guy walks up to say hello, and his girlfriend won't shake my hand because of the movie. And oh my I'm like, God. and part of me is insulted, and I'm like, it's a movie. My gosh. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then the other part of me gets it. I mean, you can't be putting movies out kind of wanting to move people mm-hmm. emotionally the way we do and not expect some kind of issues with that. So it's just something that you have to learn with and, and, I would be probably much more reluctant at this stage of my life. Uh, I remember I did a movie called Eye for Night, which was, I played a violent predator uh, on women. I I have daughters. Uh, Again, I wanted to show this character for the evil that that is. And and, and it was really a film about kind of the failure of the judicial process in California at that time and policing. And it was with Sally Field and Ed Harris, great cast. John Schlesinger directed it. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, I think I did a very good job with the character, but I, I got beat up very badly for it. And, and in California, there's a pizza chain called Chuck E. Cheese. And, and it's fantastic. And, and actually, the pizza is not terrible, but they've got all these great games for children. And, yeah. and, mm-hmm. it, and it's a destination spot for mm-hmm. you and a 10-year-old. And my daughter, I think, was eight at the time. And, and we went... And this was maybe a week or two after that film had come out. And within nine minutes, the place was empty. <laughs> I mean, mothers grabbed their children and ran for the oh doors. Oh, my God. And my daughter thought that I just rented the place out for her. <laughs> so I was like, cool. You know, sometimes it works in your favor. And we had a blast. What I would imagine that you very rarely have a bad day on set. But have you ever had the, a terrible day on set? Oh, my gosh, yeah. It's 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 it's. It's a team sport. It's, you know, you've got 150 to 200 people on your crew. On any given day, you've got 20 cast members. Um, Sometimes the material doesn't work. Sometimes you don't work. You know, uh, I've had moments where I've I've got this speech down. And for whatever reason, there's one word trips you up. and, And that, then you just, the pressure mounts and mounts and it gets worse and it gets worse. And that's frustrating and you feel like you're letting everybody down. I've had days where other people have had that and you're trying to be compassionate and compassionate and then you're not as compassionate. <laughs> I've, I've had days where, you know, 
cameras just fall apart right in the middle of a scene or someone drops their boom or someone forgets to turn their phone off. You know, uh. there, there's so many things. You could be having the greatest moment in the world and someone gets a call from their mom and they've forgotten to turn their phone off, right? So there's so many things that can happen. Uh, I think it's probably easier to talk about the days where everything was perfect. Uh. Yeah. Maura Maura's done some acting. She was a principal in RoboCop, the remake. And, I was. In Regression. And uh, what was the movie they totally changed your script on you the day you showed up? Regression with oh. Ethan Hawke and Emma Watson. I, I, had, um, I was just playing one scene and I had a script that was different than the one that was on set that everyone else had. Like, mm-hmm. Can you imagine my horror? Oh, yeah. And they're like, what are you saying? What are you I don't re- have to imagine it. I know it. <laughs> oh, so this has happened to you? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, I'm like, what are the odds? Because I don't have many experiences to compare this to. So I I felt so terrible. I I was literally shaking, but they found a way to work work it through. Yeah, they made you learn the new script. They made me learn the new script (laughs) on the spot. But I I just felt like I let everyone down and was sick about it. And you you didn't. There there is someone uh, in the production department that forgot to send you the new script and, and... no one will know who they were. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's a team sport. Uh, and, and it's really fascinating when it, when it is working, when it's on fire, mm-hmm. and you look around and you go, oh, my God, 300 people, 250 people are working together right now like one organism. This is awesome. And, and that'll keep you coming back because those are moments that take a whole crew out to the bar. Yeah, right? Those right. are the moments where... Everybody's like, man, that 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 juice I felt that moment. I'll fight for that every day now. Yeah, and then twenty four was one of those experiences where that, that we felt that a lot. Uh, it might not be everybody's show, but we knew what we were making, and so when we got the drama and the action and and that to live together in those moments. Uh, no, that was fantastic. It was everybody's show. Yes. When that show yeah. is it true it was supposed to be one and done, uh, one season? That's was a rumor I heard, and then and then well, it was no, such I, a success I, that everyone wanted to just find a way to keep it going. No, it wasn't. It was never intended to be one and done. I don't think the writers had ever intended it. We got picked up for thirteen episodes, and the back end would have been eleven. And I don't think the writers ever thought we were going to get picked up for the back end, and we did. And I remember looking at Joel Surnow, and I said, congratulations. And, and this look of horror was on his face. <laughs> and he said, we don't know how to finish this. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding me? He's like, we never thought it was going to go. And so they went into absolute panic mode, and they started writing, writing, writing. And, I mean, all night ses- sessions banging out the ideas. Once you've got the idea, the actual writing of it is not that hard. But mm. coming up with the idea, uh, and they had a couple kind of big idea folks on on that show. And uh, again, yeah, when it when it works, it's there's nothing better. Uh, is there something that we can look forward to? I know that Rabbit Hole is available, mm-hmm. and for people who are looking for something to watch while we're waiting for shows to come back after the strike, there's, you know, you can get that on Paramount Plus. There's a film that came out. Uh, kind of during the strike so that we weren't allowed to talk about it. Uh, so it just kind of came out. And, and it will have uh, a resurgence because we everybody who worked on it 
feel so strongly about it. Uh, there was a remake of the Kane Mutiny, uh, which is a Humphrey Bogart film uh, that was very successful and very big in the 50s. William Freakin uh, directed that. Uh, he finished the movie, and then sadly, very shortly after, he passed away. It was his last film. He's directed things like The French Connection, The Exorcist, To Live and Die in L.A., uh, is really one of the great maverick filmmakers of the set late 60s, early 70s, which was really the Americana film movement, you know, in its in its absolute pristine beauty. Um, and he was a tough guy. Uh, we shot the film in two weeks. It's a courtroom drama. Um, and just re- really, uh, Jason Clark is in it. Um, just re- really excited for people to see that. Uh, and it's available on Paramount Plus and Showtime. Uh, but we'll start to do press both here and in the U.S. for that, doing talk shows and things. Uh, so a lot got kind of released quietly during the strike because the streaming services and the networks had to put stuff out. Yes. Um, but every device that we've ever used to kind of create awareness of those projects kind of was 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 being restrained. Uh, so... There's a lot of stuff out there that's actually really cool that no one knows about. So, but that that's something I'm very proud of, and I hope people get a chance to see. And uh, I know there's new music in the works for 2024, mm-hmm. and a little song here about whiskey. Yeah. And I noticed behind you, uh, I don't know if you can see that. There's a sign. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Was that here when I sat down? It was, it was, was, yeah. Somebody came in and threw that up. Otherwise, someone's really stealthy here in this office. Yeah. Uh, Red Bank Whiskey. Yeah. Is this a Kiefer Sutherland project? It it has your name on it. It Your signature. It does have my name on it. It it is a joint project. Um, uh, I have a great friend named Gary Briggs, who is very high up in Warner Brothers Music. Uh, We've known each other uh, for 35 some odd years, uh, different musicians and friends and, and... and he's very good friends with a guy named Rob Steele, who is an incredibly successful businessman from Nova Scotia in radio stations and trucks and selling cars. And, uh, and they had been talking for at least a decade about making a whiskey and on fishing trips. And wouldn't it be cool? And we'd have our own, we'd, just a boutique kind of thing. And then they'd get kind of drunk and, and forget about it till <laughs> next year. And... And then finally, Rob had just had enough, and he said, look, I, I really want to do this, and we're going to do this. And uh, do you think Kiefer would be interested? And, and so they gave me a call. And I said, I'd be really interested if we made kind of a, a really world-class, A-level Canadian product that we could take around the world and kind of say that this is emblematic of, of Canada and really kind of then get to brag about Canada because I... I've had the great fortune of traveling everywhere. Mm. And there is no place in the world that I've been, whether it would be China, Russia, the United States, South America, uh, Central America, Europe, that has the topographical diversity that Canada has from British Columbia to the Eastern province, and then has the human diversity Mm -hmm. that Canada has. And those two elements combined uh, make this an incredibly special place. When I first came to Canada in 1976, we were in trouble, right? My family was in trouble. My mom was having a hard time. And, uh, 
And not only were we taken in by our community in Crescent Town, and not only we were taken in by the school that me and my sister went to, the entire acting community in Toronto took my mother in and got her work and made sure within the first year she was working. Now, if you go to any other acting community around the world, and I'm not putting them down, it's just a reality, it's competitive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, someone pushing someone over slightly to the left is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. So what was uncommon was to just have our family be taken in the way we were. Um, And that was never lost on me. And so when you ask me earlier, where do I associate being from? It will always be Canada because Canada was the place that took us in. Um, And and it's had a profound effect on me ever since. Um, Uh obviously hugely proud of, of what my grandfather accomplished in this country, but, but my attachment to on a nationalistic level is just the people here and how kind they've been to me. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, we're happy to have you back. Want to have a drink? Yeah. It's been, I know it's been available in a couple of places in Canada already and then rolling out in yeah, Ontario. So, so we go province to province. And so we did the maritime provinces. We did uh, PEI, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, um, uh, and, and Newfoundland British Columbia, and Newfoundland in one go. Oh, okay. Then let that kind of get settled and do our promotions for that. Then we did British Columbia. Then we did Manitoba, Alberta. Uh, and and now Ontario and Quebec left to do and the territories. Um, if I'm to send a drink to your table, mm. is it whiskey? And how yeah. do you like it? Neat. Neat. Um, you know, it's... it's uh, the cool thing about kind of the process of, of developing... Uh, what we call the liquid, developing that over f- five or six years, has been one thing. The, the other thing is all the different things that we've done kind of trying to figure out who we are. And so we would have these events in the Maritime specifically and so much fun. You know, you get the top 15, 20 bartenders in Nova Scotia and you'd bring them to the home of Red Bank and we'd put them up and then we'd have contests, right? 200 bucks, but you got to work as partners and you can only use two hands at one time and you have to be back, you know, kind of spooning each other and see who makes, <laughs> see who makes, the, makes the best cocktail that way. These guys and girls were incredible yeah. and they were competitive and they were all friends. I mean, that's its own community, the bartenders uh, around Canada too. And they made amazing cocktails. And, 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 and all of a sudden we were starting to realize that, that people who do not drink whiskey were starting to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that became incredibly exciting. And then, you know, and then someone else, well, I like it this way. Well, there's no wrong way to drink it. So it, it's, it's, I couldn't be more proud of the whiskey to drink straight as it is and, and and as that brand but i'm also equally excited about its potential diversity and and uh yeah and it's going to just be something that people will have to find for themselves 
you know, we're like brothers here, Kiefer and I. We both have sailing tattoos on our oh, forearms here. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed. I, I I didn't realize you were all tatted up on your arms. Obviously, they have to take that away from most of your yeah. movies. That's got to yeah. be a pain, right? Well, it's a less of a pain now than it used to be. Okay. Uh, so so back in, in the 80s and 90s, uh, there was extensive makeup that would be done, airbrushing. So, And the really good airbrush makeup artists would do it uh, almost like Da Vinci would do kind of the skeletal frame all through the muscle frame oh, wow. so that they would start painting different shades of red which would be all your capillaries and your blood vessels wow. and then they would do <sighs> shades of yellow which would be your fat and then they would do shades of kind of your skin tone uh it would take hours they would, would have to really want you for the it, job it would eh? take, you be well careful. no it, they had no problem with it because they didn't have to sit in the chair for four hours uh, right. i had to sit in the chair for four hours so i either had to really want the tattoo um and obviously, I did. Yeah. And what yeah. do they do now? Is it like a, a like a fake layer of skin? Now, or yeah, they just do it. They so they take a they take a plastic uh, plaster uh, Paris cast mm -hmm. of your your arm, and then they make a thin sheet of skin that they just pull over like a sleeve, and then they just adhere it at the top. Wow. Yeah. Which is, I mean. It's like four hours versus six minutes. It's, wow. It's, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come a long way. So then you started getting a lot more tattoos yeah, after that, right? Damn right. <laughs> yeah, if I could just figure out how they do the one for the hand. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks so much. I mean, we could talk to you all day about oh, everything. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, it's always a thrill. You're a total pro. You've been in this business forever, which uh, I, I mean, not to age you or anything, but. It's uh, already done. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was watching Stand By Me the other day. It's on TV all the time. Yeah. A few good men. Oh, my God. Uh, Lost Boys. All the, you know, everything in between that and what you're up to now. So, yeah. anyway, good to have you here. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the new whiskey. Thank you very much. Yeah. Red Bank. Check uh, it out. The Kane Mutiny. Kane Mutiny. Showtime right. and Paramount Plus. Rabbit Hole. Everything. I mean, if Kiefer's associated with it, it's never been bad. Brotherhood so. of Justice. You. Uh, there you go. <laughs> you had to do it. <laughs> Couldn't help herself. Uh, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you guys so much.